0: You're listening to the Redefining Wealth Podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Brad Klontz. He's a financial psychologist who says that saving money is not logical, it's emotional. Hey there, it's Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. So today I'm super excited to bring you into my world Uh, because you guys always hear me talk about the fact that although I'm a personal finance educator and some would say expert, I love to talk about money, but not in the way that most people talk about money. Right. And so I am actually really more interested in our behaviors and our mindset towards money and how we manage our relationships and our money. And one of the things that I kind of have on my bucket list this is a little fun fact about me. This tells you how much of a nerd I am, probably. But one of the fun facts is that I want to pursue a PhD in behavioral economics. Yep. I really want to study the behavior behind what makes us do what we do. Like We know that we should save more. We know that we should spend less. And yet, no matter what we know, we still tend to make decisions that are contrary to what we know would be good for us. And I really think that there are some cultural implications. There's definitely the education that we receive from our parents or grandparents or whoever raised us. And In my entire journey in this whole personal finance space, I've always been fascinated by it. And I've drawn a lot of my own conclusions, but I want to have the research that goes with it. So when I partnered with Capital One on their inaugural National Savings Day, the thing that really made me want to partner, besides the fact that I think they offer a great product, is that I was gonna have an opportunity to sit down with someone that I actually looked up months ago as I started to look at this search or understand what it would take to get this PhD. I wanted to find people who were doing the work that I wanted to do, right? That I want to do. And Dr. Bradley Klontz is that person. So let me tell you about him and then we'll jump in. You guys are gonna enjoy this interview. It definitely ties in some stuff that you probably haven't heard before When you're really trying to work through how can I save more, how can I become a better saver, it's definitely not stuff that you hear every day in the sound bites that you get on the news or other places. So this is going to be good. Dr. Bradley Klantz, who I'm going to call affectionately Dr. Brad, is a founder of the Financial Psychology Institute and an associate professor of practice in financial psychology at Creighton University. He's also a fellow of the American Psychological Association, and he's authored, co-authored, and co-edited five books on the psychology of money. This is the stuff that gets me excited. His work has been featured on ABC News' as 2020. Good Morning America and in USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, Time Magazine, Kiplinger's Money Magazine. You get it, right? He is out here doing his thing. And I'm so glad that we had a chance to sit down. So listen in so you can learn the truth about savings. So Dr. Brad, I am actually super excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being here on the Redefining Wealth podcast.
1: It is my pleasure. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Thank you. So you have been doing a lot in this financial psychology space. Um, Obviously, you are one of the founders, I think your dad is the co-founder of the Financial Psychology Institute. But I mean, that's still relatively new, right? It's still relatively a new discipline. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. So can you kind of break down what financial psychology is? And then tell me a little bit about how you got into it.
1: Oh, my goodness. Sure. So, you know, financial psychology, it really makes sense when you think about it, because for the most part, we all know what we should do around money right? I mean, we all know that we should save for the future, we should spend less than we make. And I know that financial information can be, you know, much more detailed. There's a lot of intricacies. But for most of us, when we get into trouble, it's because of one of those two very simple things. We're not saving, or we're spending too much. And financial psychology is really the study of of why we do that. So it's a study of our upbringing, our experiences, and our beliefs and behaviors around money. And I think the ultimate goal of financial psychology is to help us improve our financial health by improving our psychology. So it really looks at what's between your ears, assuming that the basics are fairly simple. So why do so many of us find ourselves tripping up around money? And I think that's what financial psychology is all about.
0: Well, you know what I love about having you here? I love the fact that you can add the kind of scientific piece to what I have been saying for years, Dr. Brad. (laughs) Like for years, I've been trying to get people to understand. And I always say that building wealth is 100% not about money. Like it's so much about us and our mindsets towards money. And it's about all the other pieces of our life, right? It's so integrated. It can't just only be about money or we would all be better. We would all be saving more and spending less. So clearly there's other factors. And so do you agree that building wealth is first and foremost
1: about your mindset? I totally believe that to be the case. Now, you know, let's be real. Like some people are born, dare we say lucky, you know, um, not necessarily, you know, they don't have a silver spoon in their mouth, but they really are sort of born with a treasure map and a shovel where this wealth building mindset is really a part of their birthright. And it's how they were raised and their parents taught them everything they needed to know. Um, And so sure, they have to go out and they have to execute, but ultimately they're given the tools. Now for the rest of us, and you asked like how I got into this, well, my message comes Comes, and, and I know a bit about your message, too, and it really comes from my mess. That's what I say. My message comes from my mess <laughs> and my desire to try to sort it out. So for many of us, we have to learn as we go. Um, and a lot of the research we've done, which led to the study that I'm really excited to talk about with you today, um, it has demonstrated that fact that our beliefs about money... So these things that were passed down to us from our parents or from our culture or from our neighborhood, they predict our financial outcomes. So real clear predictor of our success or failure, if we can identify these beliefs around money, where they came from, then we have the power to change. And another thing that is a real important mindset that has been found in our research repeatedly is that people who believe that they have the power To make these changes in their lives. Along with that, you're accepting responsibility. Um, That's when you can create the financial outcomes you really want and achieve success. You have to believe that you have the power to do it. And frankly, you have the responsibility to, to do it.
0: Oh, I love that. You have to believe it and then take responsibility, which is essentially moving forward and taking action, right? The right action steps. Um, One of my mentors is Steve Harvey. I have a weekly segment on the Steve Harvey Morning Show. And one thing that he said at the conference that I spoke at earlier this year is that we don't get what we want, we get what we believe. And I think that you just kind of confirmed that, right? So many people say, oh, I wanna be debt-free or I wanna save more, I wanna buy whatever, whatever these financial goals are that we set every year. But the reality is if you don't first believe it, it's just not going to happen, right? You have to believe that you have the power to actually do it,
1: right? And and you also have to sort of take responsibility if there's some gaps in your wealth mindset. So if there are things you're doing that aren't working, you have to sort of take responsibility for this. The idea that maybe there are things I don't know, and maybe there are mentors I can seek out. And and frankly, for people, these mentors are probably somebody already in your life. You don't need to like you know go call a a, um, a celebrity and hope they answer your phone <laughs> your phone call. Find somebody who's who who's doing what you're doing at a step or two above where you are and um, sort of pick their brain and get get more of an understanding of their mindset, because I I guarantee you from that conversation, you'll be able to shift some of your approach.
0: Yeah, I love that. Essentially take baby steps, right? Because we're always like, I want that way over there, you know, but there's always someone who's like one or two steps ahead of you and it's so much easier to get to them. And to mimic whatever they're doing, whatever great habits they have. So that's really good. Um, so I'm also really excited to hear more about the research that you've been doing. So first, let me say this. For those of you who don't know, I am really a nerd when it comes to financial psychology because it's it just so... It's so relevant to what I've been saying before I even knew that financial psychology was a thing, Dr. Brad. Like I didn't even know people like you existed for years. It it was a few years into this where I started to see um, places like the Financial Psychology Institute and and different things. And so what really gets me excited are that there are studies that actually prove what I've been saying, because I've just been saying what's worked for me and what worked when i was you know doing money coaching with people one on one and so now that the the audience for me has grown I really want to add the science piece to it, you know. I really want to add the research, and I have to be honest, you know, I don't know much about research, but that's why you're here because you're the expert on this. And so, uh, Capital One, both of our partner, commissioned the Banking Reimagine Saving Study that you led earlier this year, and the whole goal was to test whether positive memories tied to sentimental items could improve how we save. So, I want to hear more about that study, and I really want to understand what you found? Because I think there's some great takeaways for my audience.
1: Yes. Now, now this was a very fun study. And as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. <laughs> uh, maybe you said that before we started talking, but it's totally true. Um, and so I, I got really excited when um, I was able to partner with Capital One, because they allowed me to do what is basically a gold standard study. And so we had um, random assignment to a couple different conditions, and um, double blind study, and so what we did is we wanted to look at if we could tap into the feelings that people have associated with um, nostalgic, sentimental items from their past, and whether or not we could harness that emotional attachment to inspire people to save more financially. So we we took these volunteers and we put them in one of two groups. We put them in a control group where they received more of a sort of standard financial education experience. So they were taught about the importance of saving, taught about compound interest, and various vehicles by which they could save more. And in our experimental condition, we had people bring in a nostalgic item from their past. And many of these items were things like you could imagine pieces of jewelry from a grandmother, a teddy bear from their childhood, wristwatch from grandpa, One person brought in a black and white photo from a vacation their family had taken in the 70s that had real fond recollections related to that. And with that item, we put them through an experience that got them in touch with the emotions related to that item, got them in touch with the values associated with that item. And when they were emotionally activated like that, we then asked them to identify their primary savings goals and get really specific about those goals and actually visualize those goals. And um, put them on, in essence, what you could see as a vision board, where they were putting pictures of that nostalgic item, identifying the beliefs or, or the feelings and the um, values associated with it, and then pictures of their, you know, their primary savings goals. And so we we tested these people in both groups um, when they came in the door. We asked them, you know, how much money have you been saving as a percentage of your gross item for your um, financial goals? And then we asked them three weeks after the class. Um, the same question, how much money are you saving? And so here's what we found. We found that the participants in the financial education group, when we asked them how much they were saving as a percentage of gross income three weeks after the study, they reported a 22% increase in savings, which is incredible. So, you know, financial education worked. When we looked at that nostalgic item group, we actually found a, a savings rate that was three times higher. So they, they reported increasing their savings by 67% three weeks after that experience around the nostalgic item.
0: Wow, that's good. 67%. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, you know, to put, to put a number on it, when that group came in, they were reporting a 10% savings rate. Um, and it jumped up to about 17.5% three weeks later. So they were really motivated to save.
0: And so, like, why do you really think that is? Like, what was it about the positive memories from these sentimental
1: items that did it? I think what what it was is that um, identifying those items, I see that nostalgic item as sort of a gateway into activating... Your emotions and positive emotions, and intrinsic motivation, and this this is this is something that we're we're learning more and more about in financial psychology. Is it's it's actually not the prefrontal cortex; it's not your logical brain that drives a lot of your financial behaviors. It's your emotional brain, and that's why many of us are susceptible to making you know emotional decisions around spending and then regretting it later. Um, that's a common experience for many people. And what we're able to do is harness that. Emotion and that um, sort of passion towards that nostalgic item, and then translate that to the whole reason why you want to save for the future. It's not about denying yourself things in the present. It's about getting really excited about these savings goals that mean the most to you, that are attached to your values, that are you know the reason you get up in the morning. You know whether it's um, for an adventure you want to have, whether it's safety and security for your family. It's really tapping into. Why would I want to save to begin with?
0: Yeah. And that's what I, I always say. I say, start with the why, right? Because even as a personal finance educator, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've never been motivated by like rainy day conversations. It's like, oh, you should save for a rainy day. What if you have a flat tire? Or what if your roof leaks? Like, mm. Not really motivating. <laughs> like, that's never really moved me to want to do something. But I'll tell you, a couple years ago, and I found this was really important with my husband, because I'm pretty sure you find this too. In a lot of couples, you have one that's more naturally a saver and a person who's yep. more naturally maybe the spender. And so in our family, no surprise, I'm the saver and my husband's more of the spender. And so we started to set like annual family goals, uh, annual family financial goal that I can kind of hold him to. And so last year, our whole thing was about our daughter was turning 10 and we felt like she was ready to be able to experience like an international trip. Because anytime before that, we're like, this is thousands of dollars. She's seven. She's not going to remember But maybe once she's a little older, she can hold on to some of these memories, right? And so we made that the big thing. And we saved to go to South Africa, which was phenomenal. And she still talks about it. (laughs) like Every few weeks, we hear her mentioning something or telling someone about it, which is awesome. And then this year, we decided that my mom was retiring, is retiring this November for her birthday, her 66th birthday. And one of her concerns with retiring was not feeling like she would be ready Um, like she wouldn't have enough money saved because she honestly wasn't a saver. So I didn't grow up having these types of conversations. It wasn't, it's definitely who I am is not what I'm modeling. (laughs) You know, it wasn't modeled for me at that time. And so my mom wasn't really a saver. And she's at this point where we want her to retire for her health. And she wasn't ready. And so my husband and I said, this year we're going to, well, last year we started, we were going to save enough money to purchase some income property, put my mom in a unit, totally rehab it and furnish it and surprise her with it. And we just gave her the keys a couple Sundays ago. And that was the motivator for us. So because I'm more of the saver, you know, I probably could have naturally done it on my like done it. But because, you know, there's two of us and we're both contributing here. um, I had to, you know, remind my husband sometimes when he would want to get off course (laughs) and do other things that guys like to do and buy other little toys and namely a car um, that, hey, that wasn't the priority for this year. And it's really helped both of us just have a shared goal that means something to both of us. Because my mom is like his mom. So he really took that to heart. And every time we had to tap back into that conversation, that's the thing that kind of got him on the straight path is like, okay, that matters more.
1: You know, when we approach saving money from the budgeting perspective and all the things we're going to cut out, it's real similar to dieting. And um, anytime I try to approach a diet um, in terms of cutting out all these delicious things, my brain rebels and we're sort of biologically... Hardwired to sabotage ourselves um, when our brain is saying, Okay, there's a famine coming, so I'm going to slow down my metabolism, I'm going to hold on to every calorie I can, I'm going to try to make you lazy so you don't move. And I think we, when we approach budgeting from this sense of deprivation and starvation, if you will, of course, you don't want to do it, it's depressing, Um, and then of course, we don't stick to it.
0: Yeah, for years. I have really been talking about financial education from this way, right, from this perspective, because I love that in the study, one of the first groups that you guys did was the basic financial education presentation. And what a lot of us think of when you hear that is kind of the I'd hate to be rude, but just follow me. It's like that Saturday morning dry bagel and orange juice conversation at your financial advisor's office, you know, somewhere where everyone is really uptight and it's really stiff. And quite frankly, it makes you a little nervous, right? It's like kind of intimidating. And I've always tried to use storytelling or props or just something to keep it engaging and fun and help people let their guard down. Because, already money is kind of taboo for a lot of folks. It's just hard to talk about, especially in front of a group of people that you don't know, right? Or with strangers or even to nod your head at the wrong time, you know, you're kind of looking around to make sure no one's watching you or seeing which piece of this conversation you relate to. But when we can do it in an engaging way, it makes all the difference. So I'm really curious about what the study tells us just as financial educators or the financial planners listening or any personal finance coach which is what we need to do more of or less of to help our clients and our audiences actually achieve their savings goals or
1: their financial goals in general. Yeah, you know when we when we start with the understanding that our financial decisions are not made by our rational brains for the most part, it, it's based on and how we're feeling and our emotional brains. Too many of these concepts are very abstract. So like the idea of retirement is an extremely abstract idea. The idea of saving, extremely abstract. What does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean a whole lot to your emotional brain. And your emotional brain is the part of your brain that actually makes your decisions for you. And so the drier, as you're saying, and and we've all been in those, we've probably all given dry presentations at some point in our life, um, you know, based on facts and uh, we're trying to motivate people based on facts it's really the emotion that motivates us. And so as many things as we can do to bring in an emotional experience. And so you mentioned storytelling. For our study, we used a a prop, if you will, I mean, a nostalgic item that people really attach to, um, to make it experiential, to give people an experience significantly more effective because you're engaging that emotional brain. So in in our experiment, we had people actually cutting out pictures and drawing pictures and putting together a visual representation of their goal because that really engages the emotional brain. Abstract ideas like retirement or or this amorphous savings account doesn't really motivate us.
0: Well, you know, I love the whole visual representation piece because I've been so into vision boards for years before The Secret and before people start talking about the law of attraction and all this, I was making little vision boards literally in like grade school. It just came kind of naturally to me. And The thing where people fall off, it's like you said earlier, we have to also be willing to take responsibility. And so I see with the vision boards, people kind of have this like pin it and forget it type of attitude, right? Like I'm going to pin this car, this house up here and just it'll magically appear. But would you agree like the whole point in adding the visual representation is to keep you motivated, but also to hold you responsible to what you say you want?
1: Right. Yeah. So a big fan. I'm a huge fan of visual motivators. Um, That's what we did in the study. We, we actually had a board. It was a vision board. However, you have to also visualize yourself taking action. Um, and so, because, <laughs> you, you know, you have to have the goal, but you got to take some action. And so what we did in the study is um, people were very motivated. They were very emotionally aroused. They were excited to, to go tackle these goals. And so then we had them take some action, or we, at least we taught them some actions they could take. Um, for example, automating, their goal so you're you're really excited you're motivated to do this go home and automate a savings Strategy. So, um, you know, by the way, Capital One has a lot of tools to help people do this. It's it's like automating, you know, whether it's a dollar amount um, each week or each month that goes from your checking account to your savings account. It's automatic. And if you sort of set it and forget it, and we have this natural um, way of approaching our lives, it's called a status quo bias, where we're sort of hardwired to not change. Um, So one of the ways to harness that, which can sometimes hurt us, is to automate it when you get passionate. About that savings school. Another technique that we used, and you may use this yourself, it's a very powerful technique, but don't just call it a retirement account or a vacation fund. Get really specific. So we had people name those accounts. So it wasn't a vacation account, it was the 2018 European Family Vacation Account. And think about that sentence, you know, 2018, we know when it's coming. So there's some urgency I need to save family vacation. Oh my gosh, I love my family, you know, and I can picture us in Europe. Now I'm starting, I'm actually even, I don't have a a European vacation plan, but as I'm talking to you about this right now, I'm really excited and I want to take my family to Europe. (laughs) So I want to start saving for it. And that's really what it does is, is, is it taps into that emotional motivator and you're much more likely to save dramatically more when you can get really specific around what that goal is.
0: Yeah, you know, that's actually one of the reasons that I use Capital One's 360 money market account. And I've used it for years. I use it because I can have several savings accounts, like kind of all in one place, and because we could name them. And this year, the one that we used to help go towards my mom's uh, rehab for the property was mom's retirement home. And that alone, every time you kind of look at that, sometimes we would do, I play kind of games with myself. So as... Someone who's self-employed, if I get a check, Brad, for like, let's say, I don't know, some dollar amount, let's say $3,332. In addition to the things that I have automated, I always transfer the hundreds, like the $332 will go to this account. And it's one of those things like every time I'm doing it and I'm designating which account it's going to go to it, like you said, I can visualize my mom walking around in that space. I could visualize her just being able to relax because she's worked so hard for 40 plus years. You know what I mean? And. I want want to see her sitting in a space that is totally peaceful and and just really nice, like that place that will be the last home that she lives in. And so just even visualizing her in that tranquil space makes me more aggressive, really, but actually more excited about making it happen. And I love the naming. Like that has been so helpful to me for years, is the naming of the accounts. Because again, it's not just a savings account. Right. Because like I need to save is really not that motivating. We all need to. We know that. But thinking of what it, what you're saving for, like what that big why is like, man, that is the motivator. Like, seriously, even as someone who's a nerd about this stuff, I still I have to do it. I have to.
1: Well, our default is to totally not save at all. I mean, you know, <laughs> for you know, we come from hunter-gatherer societies where you couldn't carry that much with you anyway. So the people who wanted to carry everything got left behind. So we're, we're sort of wired to like consume it now and not save it. And so to, you have to overcome that wiring. And what we're talking about are these financial psychology strategies. So where we are hardwired to take care of our family and to be really connected with our family and others. And so we are hardwired to do that. So we can overcome this natural impulse to spend it while we got it when we can get really specific about a goal that really relates to that emotional brain and those values we care the most about. Um, And that's where the naming of the accounts can be so effective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the time that this airs, it'll actually be on the day of Capital One's inaugural National Savings Day. So what do you hope folks take away from the study results? Like and And what can we do to just continue to spread awareness so that more people understand that this is not about your logical brain, like we really have to engage your emotional brain in order to help you help yourself, right? So what can we all take away?
1: Yeah, so Capital One is hosting the National Savings Day on October 12th. And the idea really is to spark a two-way conversation around the whole concept of savings. I think it's to help motivate people to get excited about their savings goals, um, to value it. And and that's really my hope is I'm hoping hoping we can generate some excitement. And even within myself, you know, there's some goals I need to be more aggressive in reaching. Um, so it's really an opportunity, I think, to help us bring in line our values and our goals. And, and for me, it's, it's about living in, in more integrity around my relationship with money um, to really focus on what it is I'm saving for, why it means so much to me, because ultimately that's how I'm going to get there.
0: Yeah. Dr. Brad, you're like, like my brother or something. (laughs) Like I relate to you so much. It's so weird because it's not weird, but it's like, man, I'm listening to you. And even when you said integrity, I literally just did a class called financial integrity. And it's just about being in alignment again with what you say you want for your life and i think that it's so frustrating for most people who they have these big visions they want to they want to travel they want to experience all these different things dead freedom and just the flexibility to go where they want and do what they want and eat what they want to eat you know whenever they want to eat it and so feels like there's so many limitations but when you bring Integrity into it, which is like holistic. It's, you know, integers whole. It's about being holistic. And you look at more than just the money piece, which is what redefining wealth is all about. You know, this whole journey for me is about teaching people that wealth is so much more than just money. And we have to look at these other areas of our lives. And you said so much that totally connect. My listeners know it just totally connects with all the pillars that we talk about. Um, So I just, I just love what you're up to. Before I let you go, Dr. Brad, I have to ask you here on Redefining Wealth, we have some kind of general podcast questions that anyone who's interviewed has to answer. So I'm going to ask you these questions and you can just answer quickly. They don't have to be deep at all. But my first question for you is how do you define success?
1: I kind of look at success as a side effect, something that sort of happens naturally when you, when you have an optimal mindset. This is another thing that we connect on that we never talked about before, but for months, I have a little thing on my phone that pops up every two hours that says optimal mindset. And it's a reminder to me to get into an optimal mindset in every aspect of my life. And so for me, that's like, what's the, what experience do I wanna be having right now? And how can I make that happen? You know, I might even be doing something that may seem somewhat distasteful. Like, for example, I get a flat tire, right? Well, what's the optimal mindset? Well, for me, it would be like, all right, there's a challenge. I get to exercise my change a tire muscle, you know? I get to, <laughs> um, and that's, that's, so that's the way I try to approach it. So for me, it's um, success is a natural consequence or a side effect of, of being in an optimal mindset.
0: I love that, that's good. How do you define wealth in three words or less?
1: Yes, wealth, and and I have a, a broader experience of the word wealth, and, and I think some of it comes from working with extremely wealthy people um, who are just miserable in every aspect of their life, and, and so when you see that, it's, you know, wealth, wealth is so much more than just money, um, you know, so for me, um, the first thing that comes to mind is love, um, laughter, and well, actually, since I'm going else, longevity. So love, you know, I want to love what I'm doing, the people around me. That's wealth, laughter, having fun and everything I'm doing, you know, having good experiences. And then um, wealth is also about longevity and taking care of yourself for your family's benefit and, and also so you can enjoy the wealth you have.
0: I'm telling you, we're like cousins. We were separated at birth or something. I love it. Okay. And what's one book that has redefined how you see wealth?
1: you know the first thing that comes to mind is a book that i read back when i was quite young you know early 20s maybe even late teens it was it's the richest man in babylon you familiar with that mm-hmm. book? It's it's an old book from like the 20s. Um, but it's a series of these parable parables that and stories, which you had talked about these stories, taking place in ancient Babylon that really looks at sort of these tried and true approaches to wealth that worked back then and totally work now, things like paying yourself first, putting your money to work for you. And it, it really gave me a strategy because when I got out, you know, part of my story is is getting into financial psychology is coming out of school with $100,000 in student loan debt. And I grew up relatively poor, and I was really terrified about this this debt. And so um, it happened to be around the time of the tech bubble. So I saw people making a lot of money. And I thought, wow, actually, one of my friends made $100,000 in in about a year. And I was like, hey, I can pay off my debt. So I sold my truck. Patrice, this makes total sense, right? Of course, you should do this. I sold my truck. I sold everything I had of value. I put it all in tech stocks. And um, Unfortunately, it was at the peak of the bubble, or fortunately, because I think it launched me on my career in financial psychology, when I started to say, you know, why would I do something so stupid with my money? Um, and so I actually started to go home and interview family members, um, and I found out it was my mom's fault. <laughs> I'm joking. That's a psychology joke. Um, but yeah. <laughs> we like to blame others. But really, it was, right. it was, it was th- these things, these messages that were coming down in my family system for generations. And I realized all these stories related to my family, and I'm like, well, no wonder I did that. And so this book actually taught me some of the things that um, I think ideally we all should be taught. And one of the things I took from it was start saving now and start paying off your student loan debt now. So do it, do both of them now. Um, Because part of me was like, I don't want to save for the future because I want to pay off that debt first. But what that did for me was, was institute a habit of savings. And of course, and I actually paid off my debt in in full. And and when I did, I also had all these savings that were um, going towards retirement. And so, you know, those messages like pay yourself first, invest in yourself, those kind of things from the richest man in Babylon really, really helped me get a good money mindset.
0: I love that book. That's a great, that's a great one. And then I swear this is the last one. (laughs) So you're going to fill in the blank and you're going to say, my name is with your full name. And for me, the truth about wealth is, so you got it?
1: Yeah. So my name is Dr. Brad Klontz. And um, the truth about wealth for me, I would say, is evolving. I think that, you know... With every bit of research we do, all the studies we do, and even my own introspection, I, I think it's evolving in the sense that I, you know, I'm evolving as a human being, but also my, I think my understanding of what wealth is is evolving. And it used for me, it used to be a, a number in the bank account. You know, that's what I thought wealth was. Um, and you know, sort of looking behind the curtain of some many actually, you know, uber wealthy individuals and realizing, well, boy, that's not it. You know, because it's so much more than that. Because here, here, you know, they have all this money, but they're not living what I would think is a life I would want to live. So it's an evolving definition for me, I think.
0: Wow, that's good. Well, Dr. Brad Klontz, thank you so much for being here on Redefining Wealth. You have definitely, I think, made me more credible. <laughs> you, you've added your, your doctor alone, the fact that you're a doctor and the fact that you get to do this work every day, do this research and um, really just help us be better about our mindsets with money and really understanding that, you know, our financial behaviors are triggered by our emotional brain. And I think if we just continue to bring awareness to that, especially with Capital One's inaugural uh, National Savings Day, we can really help some people out. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of this conversation with you. I'm super, super excited about what the listeners get to take away.
1: Thank you so much for having me and just giving me the opportunity to talk about something that I'm so passionate about.
0: Now, wasn't that good? I really loved that Dr. Brad said that wealth is evolving. I love that, right? It's so true. And I think the beauty of it is no matter where you are today, you have an opportunity to be better tomorrow, right? All you have to do is start, especially when we're talking about saving. So shout out to Capital One for their inaugural National Savings Day I plan to be a part of many more. This is a great conversation. And it's so important that we understand that this whole money stuff, as I've been trying to share with you with redefining wealth, is not just about the logical stuff. We have to engage the emotional piece if we're going to change our financial future. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share. And also, please take a moment and leave a review. I really want to hear your aha moments. I want to know what stood out to you, what is making a difference. And I want you to share with me even some of those sentimental pieces that you want to put in place so that you can do better with your savings. Because remember, I'm here to help you live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. See you next time.